Welcome to Words with Logan and Friends, a podcast where we talk about sports, life, and a variety of topics submitted by you, the listener. My podcast is now available on all streaming services. Welcome into Words with Logan and Friends. I'm here today to talk to you about a couple of topics, actually. First of all, I'm going to talk about the NBA playoffs. Wish I could come with happier news, but unfortunately don't have that as the Milwaukee Bucks were recently eliminated. I'm going to talk a little bit about my viewpoints on the Giannis situation. I'm going to talk about my rest of the series previews. And then I'm going to get into my big segment today, which is the NFL preview. So I'm going to talk about each of the 32 teams. It'll probably be a little longer of an episode. But I'm looking forward to talking about the NFL as it is happening tomorrow, and I'm so excited about it. Come at a crazy time. Actually, on uh, Sunday in Denver, Colorado, it was 95 degrees. 95 degrees. And uh, Monday, Labor Day, it snowed upwards of one foot in some areas in the suburbs of Denver. How does that happen? I have zero idea. I am not a meteorologist, as I was telling some of my students, but just fucking crazy, to be honest. I mean, how does that change that quickly? Uh, The West, there's some pretty wild weather going out there as well. A lot of wildfires. I know that Utah's been hit pretty hard with that. California, of course, always seems to be hit by wildfires. Pretty exclusively there. So not not the best in terms of weather. It's very, very crummy here in Wisconsin as well. That last two days, it's rained all day long. But the weather's nice. It's in the early little 60s here. Pretty comfortable. Able to wear a rain jacket. I actually don't mind that at all. But I know a lot of people don't like the rain. So it's supposed to be in the 60s all week. Uh, I just started school. So last week we went back. We are doing A and B days. So we have half the students on A days and half on B days. There are some students that also elected to go fully virtual for this period of time. Uh, it is quite quite different, that is for sure. Uh, it's kind of difficult being able to manage students virtually as well as in the classroom. Uh, but, you know, got to adapt somehow. So I wanted to talk about the Milwaukee Bucks. They are now out of the playoffs. They lost the series 4-1 to one to Jimmy Butler and that complete team out of Miami. And they are now... Leaving the bubble. So, as you guys know, they won the series against Orlando. They lost the first game. I was pretty pissed off. That was a pretty embarrassing (laughs) performance, but uh, they kind of coasted from there. They won four in a row. Uh, And then in the Heat series here, they started down 3-0, almost got swept. Luckily, won one game, even with Giannis gone. Very exciting game, though, regardless of us only getting one game to watch the whole thing. Uh, but to be honest, the series really changed when Giannis, he sprained his ankle and uh, he still like in a way played through it and people were freaking great. Like, why is Giannis still playing? 
I know some of the coaches were thinking that. Some of the beat writers were like, there's no reason why he should be playing right now. Uh, but knowing Giannis and the player that he is, he would have played in game five if he could have, if the medical, medical officials had not ruled him out. You know that about Giannis. If you were watching game five, he was all over the court. He was jumping over the barrier, screaming, taking his mask off, not wearing his mask over his nose, just getting so hyped up just like his brother, uh, fully engaged in the game. And then it was kind of sad at the end. Uh, he looked completely defeated, obviously very devastated. He was not out there. And to be honest, knock on wood, that may be the last game that he plays as a buck and I'm not saying that I think that's going to happen because I don't but I think we're going to have a pretty wild offseason ahead of us um, so we'll we'll see what happens so um, last night a lot of those role players really played with heart and that's what I thought was awesome uh, it, it wasn't enough down the stretch however Middleton did his own uh, Eric Bledsoe's trash I've been saying it for about a year and a half now. He is horrible. He's an outstanding defender. But there's a reason why players continue to shy off of him as he is on the three-point line. Because he can't make anything. Um, he turns the ball over like crazy. Ill-advised shots. To be honest, I would have had Dante out there over Bledsoe for a heavy amount of those minutes. Dante is so much more of a sound player than Bledsoe, um, and Dante's really impressed me in this series. But Bledsoe, I was super excited bringing him here because uh, he's an explosive player, but he has definitely pr proven to me he cannot be a key contributor to a championship team. That is absolutely fact. Middleton, on the other hand, though, he can definitely be a star. So we saw he had that explosive second quarter. Uh, in game four, uh, he can be a star. He's, he needs someone, though, to assist him in creating his own shot that's big. Um, I just could not believe the shots that he was making in game four. It was crazy. He was a key contributor. He obviously had the go-ahead bucket uh, in overtime of with that three-pointer. Um, he, I love Chris Middleton. I can depend on him. I know he's inconsistent at times, but he can definitely contribute in a big way. Uh, to any team, I would argue. I just mentioned Dante. I think Dante has a very long future ahead of him. He has shown so many bright spots. Uh, I was a little hesitant on him at the beginning of his career, but that's also because they didn't really give him much of a role. Now here down the stretch in the playoffs, he has shown that he can play big minutes along with some of those guys. What the hell is Mike Budenholzer doing? That's my next point. So he was completely outcoached for the second straight year of the playoffs. He does not mid-game manage. He just sticks to his same exact pro, his same exact strategy, sits there on the sidelines, cries, makes those weird-ass faces. I don't know what he's doing in the playoffs. This is the second straight year. I remember specifically last year versus Toronto, everybody said the exact same thing. He does not adjust mid-game. He doesn't. And that's a big-time problem. Especially like when we see with Giannis, it's the second straight year. He drives to the hole. You got three guys that are going to kind of crowd him in the middle. He tries bulldozing over him. He gets into foul trouble. Turns the ball over. And there's no mid-game management between the coaching staff. Now Giannis, of course, 
that's his strength is on the drive. But also, he's been shooting the ball a lot early in the shot clock. Bledsoe, same exact thing. Not shocked at all. Uh, but there's a really, really large issue when your head coach says, quote, my star player, Giannis, has a ceiling of 36 minutes in these playoffs. And this was when he was healthy. That's an issue. He also said the same thing about Chris Middleton. Not good at all. You can't give a ceiling to your best two players. What is that? I still remember in games two and three, Giannis is sitting on the bench in key minutes where we needed him out there. I think there was a time where there was like six and a half minutes left. Giannis is on the bench, and he had been on the bench for about five minutes. You can't let that happen. I've seen crazier things in life being a Chargers fan. Chargers fired their coach when they were 14-2, and two, believe that or not. Look it up. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I would not be shocked if Budenholzer gets fired at some point, whether that be in the offseason, whether that be next season. Uh, he's obviously a very good regular season coach, but the same exact thing happened when he was in Atlanta, and they had that very special team. They got the one seed. They had like five or six all-stars, their whole, <laughs> their whole starting lineup, and then they got swept by LeBron in the conference finals. Uh, I can kind of relate that as well in terms of the mid-game management. Probably a really, really good regular season coach, I would say. I mean, I still like Budenholzer as a guy. I just, when you have a team that's competing for a championship, you need to be willing and flexible to adjust mid-game, and he's definitely not willing to do that. Now getting to my next point, which is the big elephant in the room regarding Giannis's upcoming last year under contract with the Milwaukee Bucks. So there was a lot of questions for him after the game regarding if he's going to demand a trade after this disappointing season. Uh, it doesn't help that he got injured. I know that he is a very, very sentimental person. Uh, we saw him crying when he was walking off with his ankle injury initially. Um, and he's very, 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 very sentimental, and he said that, he, that it won't happen. He's not regarding, or he's not going to be demanding a trade at all. I believe him in that aspect. However, this also brings the organization into a very, very unique situation. You have not seen a superstar in Milwaukee since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to this level. I love Michael Redd. I love Ray Allen. But Giannis is a top five player in the NBA. It's going to be a very, very difficult time for this organization. Now, Giannis is now raising a family in the north side of Milwaukee. He loves the city. He has done a lot in the last couple months for social justice before they went into the bubble. Even saying, you know, I want... Milwaukee and I want this area to be a place where I can be happy to raise my child I thought that was unbelievable at the time and I believe him in, to some extent but also we need to think about the fact that the NBA is a business and if Giannis wants to win a championship which he continues and continues to push for there's still that chance However, there were some comments after the game. He said that he wants to continue to build. He wants to potentially win a championship here. Is that all guff to be determined in terms of it being in Milwaukee? But I do believe he has a very, very good heart, and I, I trust that he does things with the best judgment that he can give. Now, this is what I would do if I was the organization, which I'm not. 
But the moment that free agent starts, so it's been pushed back two times now. We're looking at in the middle of November being the NBA draft. So realistically speaking, you wouldn't see free agency until about December. Uh, the moment that that opens up, though, the Supermax needs to be offered. So immediately when the NBA calendar flips, that Supermax needs to be communicated to Giannis. It needs to be in his hands so that we can somewhat move on. Either he signs it and the rest of this that I'm about to go over is complete junk, or he's not willing to do it, slash, he wants to wait things out, and then us as a business and as an organization, the Milwaukee Bucks owner and GM, owners and GM, uh, need to take the steps necessary and do their due diligence with Giannis and the situation at hand. So my bold and somewhat controversial take is if the Supermax is not taken, this immediately opens the door to trading Giannis Antetokounmpo. I think that needs to take priority in terms of seeking out a potential trade partner. I am not saying that he needs to be traded at that exact moment. I am saying that the exploration needs to happen. Yes, of course, there is a potential for an incredible season. Say we win the title. Say we make the finals. And then Giannis is like, you know what? We have something here. I want to resign. He, we know that he loves Chris Middleton. He loves the teammates that he has. You can see it. However, if we think about the current state of the East, the East for the last couple of years has been a big-time laughingstock. I would say that a lot of the teams in the East now are becoming more and more competitive. So we see in Boston, they have a pretty good team with Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is rising into superstardom at this exact moment. Early 20s, he's got a lot of room to grow, but I think that he's going to eventually get there. We also have the Miami Heat, who the Bucks obviously just lost to. I would argue they have the most complete team in the Eastern Conference. They have a team that works well together with Bam Adebayo, who is a defensive horse. You have Jimmy Butler, who makes his own shot. He's aggressive. Um, you know, he's he's definitely a character. That's for sure. We saw that didn't work out with Minnesota, with Chicago, with Philly. Uh, but he seems to found his niche here in Miami. Surround those guys with with shooters. You got guys like Duncan Robinson, one of the most amazing stories I've ever heard in the NBA, in terms of grit. Uh, you got Tyler Harrow, straight out of Whitnall. Uh, you have all these amazing shooters to surround. Uh, and there's no like true star. I guess you can call Jimmy Butler a star. He's obviously not a superstar, but they just work well together. So you still have the heat. You also, and you know this could turn completely mediocre, but you also have the Brooklyn Nets. So Brooklyn, they had all those opt-outs. They had all those injuries. Um, and <laughs> really, Karis LeVert was the only serviceable player with that team. But we just need to think about that Brooklyn next year. They're going to have Kyrie, who we've beaten like every year in the playoffs for Milwaukee. Uh, I'm not really scared of Kyrie, but you got Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant is still a top three player in the NBA when he's healthy. And uh, that is something we need to think about as well. You also got Dinwiddie. You got DeAndre Jordan. They're an Eastern Conference contender. I'm not going to put them on the level of Miami or even it, maybe even Milwaukee. But I still think that that's a threat to them in the conference. So, of course, there's going to be some troubles in terms of making it to the ceiling that Giannis wants to get to. Now, if the season does not go as hoped, you could trade him midseason. 
But if you trade someone mid-season, you're, you're running the risk of losing more assets. That's why the earlier and the higher their potential is, the more games a team can get from a player, probably the richer the return is going to be coming. So if we don't get him to a Supermax and we don't trade him in the early season, you run the risk of losing a top five NBA player walking for nothing. Milwaukee's franchise would be in complete shambles with nothing to work with. And that is a big problem, obviously, in itself. I don't necessarily know what would be the next chapter of Milwaukee basketball. They would have quite a bit of cap space. But at that point, you can't find a star to come in and replace Giannis. It's going to be back to the Herb Cole type years. I think we could still be a playoff team, but I definitely think we'd be on that lower tier. Now, I don't think Giannis seems like the person to do that, where he would just walk and, you know, he cares about his organization. He cares about his teammates. He cares about the people of Milwaukee. But he also will eventually, if he hasn't, realize the NBA is a business, and I think it's just what's best for what his NBA goals are. If his biggest NBA goal is to win a championship, maybe he doesn't view that in Milwaukee. Maybe he does. Maybe he orders that we start looking for trades for other players to be coming to Milwaukee, like a couple of players I'm about to mention. So uh, I was texting my friend Billy uh, last night. When the uh, season came to an end, and he was thinking about, okay, let's let's imagine that Giannis would walk or want to be, or we end up trying to trade Giannis. So, what are some potential packages we could get from uh, different teams in the NBA? So, I'm gonna just run through some and then give my comments on each. I have four of them. So, the first one will be with Golden State. That's the biggest landing spot people have speculated. Uh, the package would include we would get Clay Thompson. James Wiseman, who is a rookie freak, he did not play at Memphis many games because he was basically forced to sit out. Uh, and then Andrew Wiggins. I don't know if there will be any other parts of that package. I think that's a pretty lucrative deal. My hope would be that you could get at least one more first for that. I do love that core. The starting lineup would be a combo of Eric Bledsoe, ugh, Clay Thompson, James Wiseman, Chris Middleton, and Brooke Lopez. Uh, ideally, if we were going to be getting rid of Giannis, uh, I would think the next step would be to get rid of Bledsoe if that hadn't already been done. I do like that core. However, I don't think the Warriors would be willing to trade Clay Thompson. Plus, you have that issue of Clay Thompson saying he didn't want to play with Milwaukee. But I think that was more situation-based why he said that comment. The second potential trade would end up with us having... Kyle Lowry, Pas Pascal Siakam, Spicy P, OG Ananobi, and Norman Powell, who, by the way, the Bucks pick when they ended up trading Toronto for Grievous Vasquez was Norman Powell. I think this is a very interesting core. It would definitely make the Milwaukee Bucks a very competitive team in the meantime. However, the only problem with this situation would be Kyle Lowry has a very limited time uh, here. Also, if you think about Toronto, if they're trading for Giannis and they get rid of Siakam, uh, like who else are they going to have on the team? They don't really have any other any other players to surround Giannis. And at that point, Giannis would be in a very similar situation to Milwaukee, if not worse. So the next situation would be with the Miami Heat. It would end up with us having Goran Dragic, Bam Adebayo, and Tyler Harrell. And we would keep 
Wesley Matthews and Chris Middleton. Uh, I don't think that there would be any way that the Heat would break up their core. I would still argue that this still wouldn't be enough for Giannis as well. Uh, you do get Bam Adebayo, who is a young star. You get Goran Dragic, who is a solid, solid, solid player in the NBA. And you get Tyler Hero, who's a young, uh, great shooter. But also, I don't think that's even close to what we could get for Giannis. My assumption would be in this package, there would be one, if not two, first-round picks also coming along with it. And then the final one doesn't necessarily include Giannis going anywhere, but it would include Chris Paul coming to Milwaukee. And I will argue that this is probably the most possible of the situations happening. So really what this would point at is the Bucks being all in. And this would include, I would assume, Eric Bledsoe going over to Oklahoma City or someone else in a third team trade. Chris Paul has made mention numerous times of going to a contender like the Milwaukee Bucks. It was a direct quote. This was before he ended up with Oklahoma City. However, the big time issue with Chris Paul, he has a massive salary right now uh, that would directly hurt us in terms of trying to attach other players to the team. Um, but Chris Paul, we obviously know, is one of the best point guards in the NBA. He's an instant first ballot Hall of Famer. I would argue, though, that's the most likely uh, just due to mutual agreements or mutual interests between Chris Paul and here. He did do the Oklahoma City Thunder quite a service this year. They were supposed to be one of the worst teams in, in the NBA and they end up in the playoffs. So with all this being said, as I previously stated, I would not push out the idea of or I would not wipe out the idea of starting to push for potential trade packages if Giannis does not take that supermax right away now fans can say we shouldn't trade Giannis yeah that's fine you know you can continue to say he's your favorite player you don't want him gone however you're viewing things from a very closed lens if you think of this if you let a once in a lifetime talent like Giannis walk away that could be the biggest issue our franchise has ever seen putting them in shambles for years we saw that the last time before the Bucks had Giannis that we were, I guess we'll actually call it relevant, was the very early 2000s with Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, and others, Sam Cassell. Uh, you can say that they were in the playoffs all those years with the Bucks in six era. 38 and 44 ain't making the playoffs. That's just walking into a 4-0 sweep. So uh, this is on John, John Horst. This is on Wesley, uh, Wesley Edens. This is on Mark Lazary taking all of this into consideration and viewing it from, okay, what can we do if we can't get Giannis to re-sign this Supermax contract, which, by the way, is around, around $50 million a year. Crazy money. Looking at some of the current NBA series, so we currently have the Clippers. They're up 2-1 on the Nuggets. Uh, they completely clapped the Nuggets in Game 1, and then uh, Denver got Game 2. And the Clippers just won the last game. I got the Clippers winning this in five. They play tonight um, in game four. I, I like Nikola Jokic. He's one of my favorite players uh, just because he's such a unique player. And for being such a big guy, he's he's so mobile. But I think the Clippers, they got, they got too much star talent there. Regardless of your viewpoint of playoff P, I guess we'll call him that. Stupid-ass nickname. Uh, and then also we got Boston. They're up 3-2 on... Toronto, I think Toronto is going to get game six tonight. I think Boston, however, wins it in seven. 
matching them up with the Heat. Lakers are up 2-1 right now on the Rockets. They beat the Rockets last night by 10. Uh, I actually thought the Rockets could get them after game one when they beat the Lakers. Uh, but in the end, I have the Lakers winning this series in six, uh, matching them up with the Clippers. So my matchups for the conference finals, I got the Clippers over the Lakers in seven. I have the Heat over the Celtics in six. So that would be Clippers, Heat, in the finals. I have the Clippers over the Heat in six games uh, to wrap up the NBA bubble and playoffs, giving Kawhi Leonard back-to-back championships. So that's kind of my breakdown on Giannis, the Giannis situation in Milwaukee, um, and kind of my thoughts on that. And then also the wrapping up of the NBA playoff bubble. So I'm going to take a quick break here, and I'm going to come back with the NFL season preview for 2020. It is here, baby. Let's go. Gruber Lofts, a proud partner of your Milwaukee Bucks. One call, that's all. So I'm going to go ahead and get started in the AFC. We have an AFC matchup in the first NFL game of the season tomorrow as the Kansas City Chiefs play against the Houston Texans. Uh, Kansas City, they look the exact same. Uh, with a lot of their key players getting locked up big time over the offseason. Texans, not so much. Got a new running back. Got a really bad offensive line. Got a bad defense. And uh, they, they lost a star player in DeAndre Hopkins. Traded him away for an aging, injury-prone running back. One of the most preposterous trades you will ever see in sports. I have no idea what Bill O'Brien is doing. And the weird thing about Bill O'Brien is even with the amount of questionable moves and takes that he's done, he still somehow ends up making the playoffs. I don't get it. So my goal here, I'm going to go through the AFC, do some team-by-team breakdowns uh, brief, and then go into the NFC and then my playoff prediction. My goal is to check in every four weeks uh, of the NFL, talk about some main highlights that have happened, um, and then, you know, any other key important things. I'm, lo- I'm viewing it from the perspective, though, of the NFL, not fantasy football. If I get into fantasy, I become too biased on a lot of players and a lot of teams. So I'm going to get started in the AFC East. So the East, we know that the Patriots... Patriots have asserted dominance for years. Well, the GOAT, Tom Brady, is now gone. He's in Tampa Bay. They were going to rock Jarrett Stidham into the season with little to no weapons. Well, they still have little to no weapons, but they brought in Cam Newton, and all training camp reports have said that Cam Newton looks like a rock star. And not only did they name Cam Newton the starter last week, but they also named him one of their team captains. So I think that really shows the impact that he's had on the team so far. And Cam Newton, say what you want about him. When healthy, he's one of the most dynamic, exciting, and complete quarterbacks of all time. I mean, I guess in the NFL right now, not not of all time. Uh, Runners, yeah, maybe. I mean, he did make it to a Super Bowl. But... um, With Cam Newton, 
We'll see really what Bill Belichick and his relationship ends up with. This com could completely collapse beneath them. Um, but, uh, you know, their defense took a lot of hits as well. They've had about four or five players opt out key players too. Um, Dante Hightower was probably the big one. Patrick Chung, their safety as well. Um, but they still got Stephon Gilmore, big-time piece of that defense. Uh, and, and the rest of their guys really you know, are, are key contributors to that defense. The running back core, though, it's a little bit, little bit shaky. A lot of people were saying that Damian Harris would be the guy. Damian Harris is now going to be going to the IR because of a uh, hand problem that he has. And then out of nowhere, it seems like Sony Michelle is healthy. They went and they brought back Rex Burkhead as well. Some of their other weapons in the wide receivers. Uh, Nikhil Harry. So he had a really, really bad rookie year. Was barely used, barely targeted, but he also struggled a lot. Sounds like the same has happened so far in training camp. He has not really impressed. And generally speaking, when you see training camp reports, they should be positive, right? Well, um, not with Nikhil Harry. Uh, they also have guys like Julian Edelman. He's an aging vet, and he is a key contributor to that offense, though. Uh, tight end, that's what they utilize a lot in the offense. They got two rookies, and Matt Lacoste, who was their starter, he opted out of the season. So you got Devin Asiasi and Dalton Keene, both rookies, coming into New England's system. We'll have to see how Cam Newton utilizes them. He utilized Greg Olson a heavy amount when he was with Carolina. So at the end of the day, I think that the Patriots, a lot of people are like, man, they're going to be so good because of Belichick. Or they're going to say, man, they're going to be so bad uh, because of all their opt-outs and no weapons. And Cam's washed. I'm taking the middle approach. I think that the Patriots are going to be 9-7. and seven. They're going to be right on the border of playoffs. Um, and then we will get back to see if they get in the playoffs in a bit. Then comes those Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills, they have what a lot of people are calling the best team in terms of stability, in terms of bringing back players that were with their team last year. That's going to be huge right now with little to no preseason and a very minimal training camp. You need to have a team that the players know each other. They know how to con communicate amongst each other. Uh, there's that continuity factor. That's the word I was thinking of. Josh Allen's entering his own. He's basically like a running back. They went out and they drafted Zach Moss, who is an absolute tank in Utah. A great in-between-the-tackles runner. They also have Devin Singletary. A lot of people were thinking he was going to become the workhorse back. Let's be honest about Devin Singletary. His body type does not match that of a true workhorse back. He's always going to be just a passing guy. Uh, and I think Zach Moss eventually will take over that backfield because he's really what they want there in Buffalo, run between the tackles. They also brought over Stephon Diggs from Minnesota to pair with John Brown and Cole Beasley, two very solid vets in the wide receiver core. They also have in the tight end position Dawson Knox, who some people have speculated could break out this year. Otherwise, he's a pretty good blocker. Um, and then on the defensive end, man, their defense is stud everywhere. So we got Tredavious White. He just got paid big-time money there with Buffalo. 
Um, a lot of people are pointing towards Ed Oliver having a breakout season there on the defensive line as well with Buffalo. I think they are just a really, really solid team, and they're also in a pretty poor uh, division, if we're being honest, with the Jets and Bills. That should be four wins right there. Um, and then depending on what happens with the Patriots, that could be two wins, potentially. Uh, should be at least one. With all this in mind, I have the Buffalo Bills going 11-5 and five on the season. Then we go to New York with arguably the worst coach in the NFL who somehow continues to get jobs, Adam Gaze. Um, a lot of people, you know, he would be very popular just because of the fact that he worked with Peyton Manning for a long time. Uh, he was with Miami, basically buried Kenyon Drake on the depth chart, <laughs> basically did not use Ryan Tannehill at all, benched him, uh, and now he's in New York, and he has Sam Darnold, Smooches, Mr. Mono, whatever you want to call him, uh, and Le'Veon Bell. And the reason I bring him up as well is his time in New York, he has not been happy, and he has not been efficient either. Uh, that offensive line was in shambles last year. They just went out and they drafted absolute monster Makai Be Becton from Louisville. If you haven't seen pictures of him before, he's an absolute monster of a human being. Uh, go on to Google and type in Makai Becton, Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder is the wide receiver one for the Jets, but I just want you to look at that picture in size comparison. It's pretty crazy, to be honest. Uh, with the Jets, though... So they just went out and they drafted the Michael Pirine. <laughs> and the funny thing is they went and they got Frank Gore. And Adam Gaze has been hyping up Frank Gore beyond belief this offseason. And it's like, why? You go ahead and play the guy that will never die, will never retire, Frank Gore, over Le'Veon Bell, who we've seen, you know, his ability as a pass catcher. That's really why he has become such a big-time name in the NFL. Uh, but Frank Gore... I know he's going to be involved for sure. The wide receiver core is very, very banged up, and that sucks because they just drafted Denzel Mims from Baylor. Big name. Uh, he was one of my favorite prospects coming out of college football. They also have Jamison Crowder, who is an absolute target hog, and he is going to be targeted a lot this uh, this season, especially because their wide receiver core is very, very banged up. It is so banged up that they just went out and they signed Chris Hogan off the street, and he's going to be their wide receiver too on the first game of the season. Yikes. The defense is also going to be a little bit rough. So uh, they just traded Jamal Adams over to Seattle. Jamal Adams, one of the best secondary defenders in the NFL. Don't really have many key linebackers as uh, two of their linebackers actually opted out this season. The defense is definitely going to cause some problems. I think this is the year, though, is Sam Darnold has to prove himself or he's not going to be a franchise quarterback, that's for sure. You know that the fans in New York, they get a little bit rowdy uh, and they definitely need to see something out of Sam Darnold this year. With all this in mind, I have the New York Jets going 6-10 and 10 on the season. Then we go down to South Beach, the Miami Dolphins. So the Miami Dolphins landed uh, one of the key quarterbacks in this past year's class in Tua Tungo-Vailoa. Uh, he is definitely the biggest wide range of outcomes uh, as he could be a complete bust due to injury. He could also be an absolute steal that they got in the draft. 
However, he is not going to start this year. And to be honest, I would not be shocked if Tua Tungo-Vailoa has a redshirt season. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick, who Ryan Fitzpatrick is a very, very, very serviceable quarterback, as we've seen over the past few years. He's one of the best backup quarterbacks, along with Josh McCown, we've ever seen in the NFL. Um, and I love that beard. <laughs> so uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, he will air it out. He does not care about stats. And to be honest, they're going to be, have to be throwing a lot in these games as they may be down. Um, so when we look at the team there with Miami, their backfield is centered around Jordan Howard, who they just went and got free agent. He was with Philly last year. He got hurt towards the end of the year. They also just went and traded for Matt Breida. He was with San Francisco. They traded for him on draft day. And then they actually just a couple days ago traded for Lim Bowden, who was a rookie that the Raiders drafted. Uh, he was kind of a quarterback, running back, wide receiver, punt return, kick return, flex guy with Kentucky. Uh, we'll see what he can do there in Miami. They just went out and they drafted a couple offensive linemen. But, you know, with this limited offseason, it's going to be a lot different for these offensive linemen to try and stop some of the league's best pass, pass rushers, um, not without any really real lifetime speed um, plays coming at them. So it's definitely going to be a, a rude awakening. For their wide receivers, Devontae Parker, he's been an absolute dis uh, disappointment in the league so far, but he had a great end of the season. We'll see what he does. I know that he is Ryan Fitzpatrick's favorite target, and he's a big-time deep threat. So I think Devontae Parker's in for a big year as well. Preston Williams is a name to know. Uh, he did come off a torn ACL, but in his limited time, he was undrafted with Miami. He showed a lot of promise as well. Then at the tight end, then we got Mike Gesicki. It's pretty crazy if you look up Mike Gesicki's athletic score. He is in the top five in the NFL in athletic measurements uh, in terms of his explosiveness, in terms of his ability to uh, run accurate and effective routes. Uh, it's, it's pretty crazy to look at that. On the defensive side then, uh, they have Xavier Howard, who's one of my favorites, and he's not really a household name, um, even though he's one of the best corners in the NFL. And outside of that, they did went go out and sign a lot of free agents. However, uh, their defense is not going to be as serviceable as it probably could be um, just because of the limited camaraderie in that team. Needless to say, with Miami, I think they're going to have a lot of struggles, and they're going to be right in the race for another top pick next year. I have the Dolphins going 3-13. and 13. Moving over to the AFC South now, this is a division where it's going to get real ugly. And we've seen it in the past where the AFC South specifically, they have a division winner with like eight wins. I think we're going to see something very, very similar this year. I have two teams going nine and seven, being the Titans and the Colts. The Titans, they're a run-first offense. They just gave Ryan Tannehill the bag. They have A.J. Brown, who is an explosive wide receiver. They have a really solid defense, and now they just added Jadevian Clowney. So I think the Titans, especially with a defensive-minded coach uh, in Mike Vrabel, that they are still good. And 
they're going to depend on their run game with Derrick Henry, who's a monster. We all know that. They just went out and they drafted Darrington Evans, who is a pass-catching specialist. Basically, think about him being the Deion Lewis now of Tennessee. But I have Tennessee going 9-7 and seven this year, as long or as well as the Colts going 9-7. and seven. Now, Colts are really interesting because they just brought over Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers now has the best offensive line in football. Uh, with that in mind, the Colts, they run the ball a lot. They just went out and drafted Jonathan Taylor, even with Marlon Mack having an outstanding season. Marlon Mack is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. I'm curious what happens to him because I definitely consider him to be a starting running back. Well, we know Jonathan Taylor, he really put up those stats with Wisconsin. Fumbling is his big-time issue, and that could limit his work you know, and his ceiling in the NFL. And the wide outs, though, for the Colts, there's a lot of interesting names. T.Y. Hilton is fully healthy. You have Paris Campbell, who missed all of last season with an injury. He was a second-round pick from Ohio State. Uh, and Paris Campbell, a lot of people have picked him to be a sleeper this year uh, as a big-time target for Phillip Rivers. And then you also have Michael Pittman, who is a drafted wide receiver from USC. Another guy that people have been calling a sleeper and saying could have an impact in the NFL right away. Another name I want to mention is Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines is a pass-catching specialist for the Colts. I don't know necessarily how much he's going to be on the field, though, knowing that Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack are also there. I could see all three of them getting a good amount of snaps. At the tight end, we got Jack Doyle, and the reason I bring up his name is Philip Rivers is there. And Philip Rivers, in his NFL career, has targeted two positions more than any else, the tight end and the running back. So with that in mind, I think Jack Doyle could be a sneaky guy to catch a bunch of touchdowns for the Indianapolis Colts. Not only is their offensive line stacked, but also their defensive front just added DeForest Buckner this past year. That's a crazy add. Then put that in mind with one of the best defensive young players in the NFL in Darius Leonard. They have a good secondary as well. And I think that the Colts have a ceiling of around 11 wins. Am I crazy to say that? But I'm just saying that they're going to win nine games right now. Phillip Rivers is on a one-year deal. I'm curious if he stays a little longer than that if the Colts have something brewing. Looking at the Texans, so the Texans, I have the Texans at 7-9, and nine, and this could go one of two ways. So the Texans, they have Deshaun Watson, they just gave him the bag as well, uh, locking him up. He is a dynamic passer and rusher, but here's the problem with the Texans. All their wide receivers now are just deep flyers, such as Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, Kiki QT, um, Kenny Stills. Those are all deep-flying guys. You still got Randall Cobb there as well. He can work out of the slot. But it's like, I don't know what the identity is that Bill O'Brien's trying to build because he did just trade DeAndre Hopkins in exchange for David Johnson. I don't understand that move at all. Offensive line, they gave Laramie Tunzel the bag recently. And then in the defense, though, there's a lot of holes, a lot of them. And... Um, in the end, I have the Texans going 7-9, and nine, but that could also be reversed just due to how good of a quarterback Deshaun Watson is. I'm curious what's going to end up happening in Houston this year. That's one of my most intriguing teams to see. 
then wrapping it up in the AFC South, we have the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I have the Jaguars going 1-15. and 15. I think they're in for a very, very bad season. Their defense is poor, and that's crazy to think about because just in 2016, they were one win away from the Super Bowl. <laughs> and they only have two players left on the roster from that team as they just cut Leonard Fournette. They just went and got Chris Thompson this offseason, who's an outstanding pass-catching running back. But outside of that, they got undrafted rookie James Robinson, Divine Azigbo. Who are these people for their backfield? But the man with the stash and the man with the jean shorts and the man with the headband, we're going to see what he can do. Now, if he goes ahead and, and completely changes my mind, I have them going 1-15. And, and let's say the Jaguars win 7-8 games. Don't think that's going to happen. We may see and we may be able to state that Gardner Minshew could be a franchise quarterback moving forward. Does Jacksonville want that? A lot of people say they're tanking. And on a podcast I was listening to this morning, they were talking about NFL play. It's too hard to tank. Because if I'm a front office and I start tanking and people see that, I'm losing my job. If I'm a head coach and I start tanking, I'm losing my job. If I'm an NFL player and I'm not putting in any effort, what's the point of playing one and then two, I'm losing my job. So we'll see, but I I don't think that they even have a competent defense. They don't have a competent running game, which is what they'd always been built around. They do have some interesting names in the wide receiver core, though. DJ Chark is one of my favorite wide receivers in the NFL right now. He's fast. (laughs) He's fast for sure. And he had a breakout last year with Gardner. When Nick Foles was on the field, he didn't do much. But DJ Chark, remember that name. Write it in pen. DJ Chark will be one for the next few years to to think about. We also have names like LaVisca Chenault who was kind of a Swiss Army knife at the University of Colorado. He is coming off of an injury um, off of the end of last season, which did kind of affect his draft stock because he was a very, very interesting player that could have gone in the first round. They also have guys like D.D. Westbrook and Keelan Cole in the wide receivers. And then at tight end, they got Tyler Eifert, who I want to know what he would look like if he was ever fully healthy. It's crazy. Looking at their defense, then, we have Josh Allen on the edge. And Josh Allen, no, not the quarterback. Uh, He's oftentimes not going to be remembered, but he's very, very talented. They also got Miles Jack. They did just get rid of A.J. Bouye and Jalen Ramsey. Those were two key corners for Jacksonville. But I think there's a lot of holes in that Jacksonville defense. That's why I have them going 1-15. Moving into the AFC North then, starting with Baltimore. So I have Baltimore going 12-4. and four. Lamar Jackson, we know he's one of the most explosive players in the NFL. Saying he's a running back, it ain't happening. Like, look at, look at how good of a passer he was last year, and not just the MVP in mind. Uh, but he obviously won a lot of games. Can't win in the playoffs. We've seen that. Uh, to the Chargers he lost, and then also last year he lost um, – to the titans so um we the ravens they need to prove themselves this year that they are for real i know they have been a sneaky super bowl pick uh but interestingly they just went out and drafted jk dobbins even with the success 
that Mark Ingram had. He is a free agent next year, uh, so we'll see what ends up happening with that backfield if J.K. Dobbins takes over or if he's not even really used in this year uh, and more so next year. For the wideouts, we got Marquise Brown. Really, really interesting name. He's fast. Uh, he's going to be the number one wide receiver target for Lamar Jackson. At tight end, then, we also have Mark Andrews, who is one of the better young tight ends. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens utilize the tight end a lot. And Hayden Hurst was with Baltimore last year. He's now with Atlanta, so he's one less weapon in the tight end core. Their defense is real, real good as well. And they just went out and they got Patrick Queen, which was a big-time get for them. I think the Baltimore Ravens have a great chance to continue to win this year, and that's why I have them going 12-4. and four. The Pittsburgh Steelers, I have them going 10-6. and six. So uh, Pittsburgh, with Ben Roethlisberger there, he's an outstanding quarterback, as we know, and he has so many weapons. And I'd argue that that defense is top three in the league as well, with budding stars such as T.J. Watt. So, and they also got Minka Fitzpatrick, who they got from Miami. So, 10-6. and six, um, The running backs are really interesting because James Conner has always been a really elite runner since Le'Veon Bell left. The problem is he can't stay healthy. And hopefully he can stay healthy this year for Pittsburgh's sake. The wideouts then, we got Juju. And Juju Smith-Schuster is going to be on a mission this year because he definitely disappointed last year. The problem was they didn't have Ben Roethlisberger on the field. You had guys like Mason Rudolph, and we also had guys like Devlin Hodges. So, um, of course, they're not very competent quarterbacks. That's why the Pittsburgh Steelers just went and got Josh Dobbs after the Jaguars cut him because they wanted someone that actually knows what the heck's going on with the Pittsburgh team. Moving on then, the Cincinnati Bengals. That's another team I'm very, very interested in what could happen this year. I have Cincinnati going 6-10. and 10. Cincinnati has that bright, shiny prize in Joe Burrow, born and raised in Ohio, right by Cincinnati. So pretty much a perfect fit for him and for the organization. They also just gave Joe Mixon the bag. He is one of the best running backs in the NFL. They got guys like Tyler Boyd coming back. They have A.J. Green at full health. That is the most important thing because we know that A.J. Green, when he is healthy, he's a top five wide receiver. They also just drafted T. Higgins, which is an interesting name. Now, the issue is going to be their defense. They're going to have to continue to throw the ball. They're going to have to score a lot of points, or they won't be able to keep up with a lot of these teams, especially in the AFC North with offenses like the Ravens and the Steelers. And if they get hot, even the Browns. So I think that Cincinnati, they have something brewing there with Joe Burrow. And he's going to be exciting to watch. But I think that their defense is not going to be good enough. I think that they end up 6-10. and 10. Cleveland, on the other hand, a lot of people last year had been hyping them up, saying they're going to the playoffs. This is the year. A lot of people said they were going to the Super Bowl. It didn't happen. Yikes. Baker Mayfield had a horrible year. Odell Beckham was hurt most of the year. Kareem Hunt was suspended for eight years, or for eight weeks. Speaking of Kareem Hunt, they actually just paid him today, um, which is interesting because they got Nick Chubb there, and Nick Chubb is one of the best pure runners in the NFL. So they got a good one-two punch there with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. 
that's going to be their offense. They got rid of Freddie Kitchens, who had no clue what the hell he was doing with coaching. And now they brought in Kevin Stefanski, who was the offensive coordinator with the Minnesota Vikings. Well, guess what? In Minnesota, that was their offense as well. Their offense was to run the ball. I can see more of that happening there in Cleveland. They do have interesting names, though, in the passing. So they got Odell Beckham. We know that he has the potential to go off at any point. We have Jarvis Landry, who every single year seems to be serviceable. He is a really solid slot guy. And then they also just brought in tight end Austin Hooper, which was interesting because they have David Njoku, and he has shown some promise as well. So they have an interesting offense. The big thing here is they have really, really bolstered their offensive line. So they got Tyler Conklin coming over from Tennessee. They just drafted an offensive lineman. Cleveland's offensive lineman is going to be a lot better, which is huge for how they want to run their offense through the running game. On the defensive end, they still have a lot of holes. However, they just got Miles Garrett. He got the bag. He's going to be great for them on their defensive line. Hopefully he can he can keep his helmet on and uh, and then keep his head up as well in the NFL. But Cleveland, I have Cleveland going 4-12. and That could definitely bite me in the ass at any point because they do have the potential to win some more games. Moving over to the AFC West now. So I am a Chargers fan, so I am a little bit biased because I'm sick of people throwing them under the bus uh, regarding the team makeup that they currently have. So, so let's start with the Chiefs, though. That's the inevitable. The Chiefs, I have them going 14-2. and two. Uh, Spoiler alert, I already have the Chiefs repeating. They have the most complete team. It's not even close. Patrick Mahomes, <laughs> I mean, come on, 10-year deal? What just happened? Okay, they just re-signed Ty- or, uh, T- Travis Kelsey. They just re-signed Chris Jones. Key pieces to their team. So with the Chiefs, they don't have any holes. Their defense is really, really good. It got better at the end of the season. Tyron Matthew is a great uh, guy out of the secondary. They just drafted Clyde Edwards-Hilaire there uh, from LSU, who's an outstanding pass catcher, which is perfect for how they want to run their offense. I'm sure Andy Reid is going to use him in a similar role to Brian Westbrook, who is a flash from the past back in Philly. Uh, But the Chiefs, I don't have them losing many games. They're going to score a lot of points, as they always do. I have them going 14-2. Second place, then, I got my Chargers. I got my Chargers going 9-7. Now, I would say that they were an absolute lock for a wild card had Derwin James been healthy. He was a front-runner to win Defensive Player of the Year. He was in that race. Unfortunately, he's going to be out for the year. This is the second straight year. He's had a pretty serious injury, and he's going to miss extensive time. It's very sad to see. It makes me have flashes of Jason Verrett, who was in the same boat as Derwin James at one point, and he is no longer viable. <laughs> so Chargers, the, the interesting thing, though, about them is their quarterbacks. They did lose Phillip Rivers. I did think it was good riddance that he got away. He's going to be going to a more competent team, I would say, at this current moment. I think the Chargers are going to win a lot of their games off of the back of their defense, though. Even with Derwin being gone, they have an outstanding corner co- corner duo um, with Casey Hayward. And then also you got Joey Bosa, who just got the bag. You got Melvin Ingram, who just restructured his contract. Um, and they have outstanding pieces, young pieces in Drew Tranquil uh, and others 
So I, even when we look at the offense, though, so they got they just drafted Joshua Kelly. That's an interesting name out of UCLA. And Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler was outstanding last year when Melvin Gordon was crying his way to what he thought was going to be a big contract. Psych. Didn't happen. Um, but offensive line do have some issues there. They completely robbed the Carolina Panthers of Trey Turner, though. Um, and... <laughs> And that was a big-time steal for them. They traded DJ Fluker over to Carolina, and he might retire. So uh, uh, Trey Turner is in his prime for the offensive line. Wide outs then, we got Keenan Allen, whose big-time name uh, just got the bag as well. It's like everybody's getting paid big-time money. So 88 mil coming to Keenan Allen um, and a four-year deal. I love Keenan Allen. I think he's one of the best wide receivers in the game. He thinks he's one of the best wide receivers in the game. Um, and it's been fun to watch them on hard knocks. I wish that it was like your typical hard knocks, but of course we are in extreme circumstances this year. So I have the Chargers going 9-7. and seven. I think they squeak out, and they do have a very, very easy schedule. So uh, I could see them winning or starting this year, season like 5-2. and two. Uh, The only tough games they really have is Tampa Bay and Kansas City. Moving on to Denver, and Denver I originally had at 8-8. Eight and eight. However, they had just suffered a huge loss to Von Miller, who's going to miss the season. Very sad to see. He's one of the most exciting defensive players in football. And Bradley Chubb, who is another exciting piece from their defense, is very banged up as well. It's time, though, for Drew Locke to see what he's worth. He has so many weapons around him. They just went and got Jerry Judy, who was my favorite wide receiver um, in the draft from Alabama. So he is really, really explosive. A lot of people like scouts have been saying he is the most NFL-ready wide receiver they've seen in their time of scouting. So it's exciting to see that. They also have K.J. Hamler. He is very banged up. Talking to uh, Joe, who is a diehard Broncos fan, he doesn't think K.J. Hamler is going to be with the team for long uh, just due to the injury history that he's got running back's going to be really interesting though because they just got melvin gordon uh kind of on a rivalry deal from los angeles and he'll be in the backfield there with philip Lindsay. and philip Lindsay, the outstanding story of he's just a colorado kid was undrafted worked his way onto the nfl roster uh, had two outstanding seasons now and now they want to go ahead and add melvin gordon who fumbles a lot, he's inefficient and injured uh, when they have a very competent running back. I never understood that move, and I still don't, uh, but we'll see kind of how that goes. And then Noah Fant, he's a very exciting tight end that they have as well. But the Broncos have been very banged up in training camp so far. Hopefully they can get healthy uh, at the right time so that they can string some wins together. Uh, Their defense... Did take a hit when they gave up Chris Harris to the Chargers. So him and Melvin Gordon did a quick swap. And uh, I'm thankful for that move. We'll see what happens with it. Alexander Johnson, it's his time to shine now with all these key players going out. Got the Broncos at 7-9. and nine. And then we got Gruden's Raiders. Debuting in Las Vegas in that beautiful stadium. I have the Raiders going 5-11. and 11. They're kind of an odd team. I don't really understand what's going on there in that team. Um, 
if we look at it, they got Derek Carr at quarterback. There was some speculation that Marcus Mariota would beat him out for the position. I never believed it for a second. But Derek Carr should be the guy there. He's actually a pretty solid quarterback. I'll say that. He's not an exciting, sexy pick to be a good quarterback. Um, but then we also, in the backfield, we got Josh Jacobs, and that's my breakout superstar this year. I think Josh Jacobs is an outstanding running back. All he needs, really, is some work out of the passing game. They did just go out and get guys like Devontae Booker and uh, Theo Reddick to kind of motivate him in training camp. So I hope that was kind of a good kick in the pants to get him working on the passing game. Looking at some wideouts. So they got two key wideouts from this year's draft. Henry Ruggs, a speedster from Alabama. He's going to be very, very exciting to watch this year. And then we also got Brian Edwards, who has been the absolute preseason hype machine. Um, I have not seen someone this hyped up in quite some time, but they love what they're seeing from Brian Edwards. He is listed right now on the depth chart as wide receiver two behind Henry Ruggs. So I think both those guys are going to get very, very heavily involved. It'd be quite something if both of them could amount to a great wide receiver. They also got guys like Hunter Renfro, who's very interesting as well. And then Darren Waller at the tight end. Darren Waller is an outstanding tight end. He really showed that last year. I have the Raiders ending up at 5-11 and 11 on the year. I'm going to take a quick break and then come back with the NFC. Our team will go to bat to make sure you get the results you deserve. Gruber Lofts proud partner of your milwaukee brewers one call that's all looking at the nfc now so starting in the nfc east i'm starting off with the dallas cowboys at 11 and 5 i think they're going to win the division they are an absolute complete team they have an outstanding offense mike mccarthy's coming in now um and coming into jerry's world and he's got all the weapons necessary. They just got C.D. Lamb, who a lot of people are viewing as the top wide receiver from this past rookies class. Uh, he's got Amari Cooper. You got Michael Gallup. You got Blake Jarwin. You got Ezekiel Elliott. You got Tony Pollard. All these weapons, a really good offensive line, and a really good quarterback. So that all equates to usually a very good team. Uh, their defense is really solid as well. Uh, I think Dallas goes 11-5. and five. They're in Jerry World and goes back on top in the NFC East. Second place in the East, I got the Philadelphia Eagles going 8-8. Eight and eight. I think the key name to watch this year with Philadelphia is going to be Jalen Rieger. And a lot of people would say Miles Sanders. But Jalen Rieger is going to be interesting because there's not much competition when he comes back in that wide receiver core. They really drafted him with the hope of him having an NFL impact right away because of all the injuries they've had once again to the wideouts. I mean, last year in the playoffs, Greg Ward was their wide receiver one, and Josh McCown was their quarterback. Speaking of quarterback, I found it quite interesting that Philly went out and drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round. Uh, what was that? I mean, um, they almost pulled a Jordan Love and uh, that's kind of a pressure point on Carson Wentz. A lot of people call him injury-prone just because he had one season of real injuries. I don't know if he's necessarily injury-prone yet. They have a really solid defense, and they start the season off with a really weak schedule. 
So I could see the Eagles getting off to a hot start and winning a few more games than I project them, but I have them at 8-8. Eight and eight. Then I got the Giants in third place going 6-10. and 10. It's Daniel Jones time. A lot of people thought it was a laughing stock, but he actually was not bad outside of the fumbles last year. Uh, he fumbled a lot <laughs> after sacks and running the ball. He's got a couple of good time weapons in the wide receiver core with Golden Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Darius Slayton. Uh, and then he's also got Evan Ingram, who when healthy is one of those top-tier tight ends. He's an athletic freak. You got Saquon Barkley. I mean, that goes without saying anything. Great pass catcher, explosive player, um, and he's in his very early 20s. The defense is interesting. They just got Blake Martinez coming over, uh, and he actually has been a solid player. I, I know a lot of people, when they was with the Packers, had kind of made fun of him and thought he wasn't the best player, but uh, just looking at some of his stats, he looks like he, he's had a couple of solid seasons. Uh, but I have the Giants going 6-10. and 10. I think that they don't have all the pieces, but they do have a lot of potential moving forward in Daniel Jones and uh, Saquon Barkley being their main pieces. Then we're going to go with the Washington football team, who has been the center of drama this offseason. I have Washington going 3-13. and 13. Um, Dwayne Haskins currently has the team. In his hands, we got Ron Rivera as the new head coach and really the ambassador for Washington. I love Ron Rivera. He was a longtime defensive coordinator with the Chargers. Uh, took the Panthers when he was a head coach to the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. And uh, he's just an overall great guy. So um, hopefully he can restore or, or be part of the restoration of the Washington football team, whatever they end up being called. Um, looking at their team they just cut ap which was very very intriguing i was shocked by that one uh, darius geis an absolute piece of shit human being is now gone uh, he should never play it down a football again uh, but now it's antonio gibson's season and antonio gibson is an outstanding exciting uh, player out of memphis he took an interesting career to the nfl he started out in juco because he didn't have the grades for d1 ends up transferring over to memphis and now he is going to be uh, one of their most explosive on both special teams and in the backfield he's been doing a lot of wide receiver work as well with washington they also got terry mclaurin and terry mclaurin with washington he had a lot of bright spots last year and now I think it's going to be his true breakout season. We'll see the relationship that him and Dwayne Haskins have this year. And then they got my personal favorite, my late-round sleeper, Antonio Gandy-Golden, who is a big-time red zone threat. Uh, their defense, it's going to be worse in the league, let's be honest, which is weird because they just went and they got Chase Young. But they also have um, Ryan Kerrigan and uh, Montez Sweat, and some others, young pieces. I know Kerrigan's not young. Um, but putting it all together, the Washington football team looks like they have a really rough defense. They have a lot of holes. And it's going to be tough for them to string wins together. So I have Washington at 3-13. and 13. Moving to the NFC North. So kind of a controversial pick because I know a lot of my listeners are Green Bay Packer fans. I have them taking second behind Minnesota. Minnesota just went out and got one of the best young pass rushers in Yannick Ngakwe from Jacksonville. He was very unhappy there. 
Uh, they weren't paying him. They weren't treating him right. And it seems like everybody wants out of Jacksonville. I mean, every time they get a star, they get rid of him. Happened with Bouye. Happened with um, Jalen Ramsey. He had issues with Fournette. You had issues with Ngakwe. Not good. <laughs> Not good for an environment. So they got him. They also have Daniil Hunter, who's one of the best defensive players in the game. Uh, they got Anthony Barr. They got Eric Kendricks and the linebackers. Um, you look at their corners as well. Anthony Harris is super good. They got Harrison Smith. That defense doesn't really have any holes. Um, but then if you look at the offense, then you got Dalvin Cook, who is going to be their main bell cow guy. They got Alexander Madison behind him. Uh, if Dalvin Cook would get injured, which he has proven to do time and time again, the Vikings, their offense has always revolved around the run. And Kirk Cousins, he basically throws the ball and just gets the job done. A lot of people make fun of Kirk Cousins, um, you know, but he doesn't throw the ball as much as he probably should. Interestingly enough, they got Adam Thielen now back at full strength. They have Stephon Diggs being gone, but they drafted uh, Justin Jefferson from LSU. Weirdly enough, he's the fourth string wide receiver in training camp right now with B.C. Johnson being the wide receiver too. Irv Smith is another exciting name there in the tight ends. He's eventually going to take over that role from Kyle Rudolph. Uh, in limited time, Irv Smith Jr. was exciting for the Minnesota Vikings. Green Bay now. Green Bay was 13-3 and last year. Um, that was, to be honest, very, very lucky 13-3. and um, They won a lot of close games. They have a very tough schedule this year, um, including the NFC South, which is going to be tough. And um, we will see what ends up happening with that. Matt LaFleur, um, we'll see if he can kind of come out as a good NFL coach or not. Aaron Jones, He's a monster. He's great. Aaron Jones is an outstanding running back. That's what they want to build their offense around is the running game. They did, ju they did just draft A.J. Dillon. My God, look at his calves. It's crazy. <laughs> um, and then also you got Aaron Rodgers. Now let's see if Aaron Rodgers can really play with outstanding anger <laughs> from them drafting Jordan Love in the first round instead of a wideout. Still don't understand it. How about the second round? Nope. Still don't understand it. How about free agency? No. They didn't grab any wide receivers. So now it's just Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Equinemius St. Brown. They cut Jay Kumaro, a fan favorite as well. They did just bring in Robert Foster to their, pra their practice squad, who actually ended uh, about three years ago with Buffalo on a very positive note. Don't know if Robert Foster is going to equate to anything, but, I mean, it's better than nothing. Tight end's interesting as well, because Jace Sternberger and Robert Tanyan are going to be splitting time at the tight end. A lot of people thought it was going to be the Jace Sternberger show, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Looking at that defense, it has definitely improved. Their defense was bad for quite some time. They brought over both Smiths and Preston and Zedarius. They got really, really good corners, Kevin King. Um, Jair Alexander, who will go under the radar, even though he's one of the best corners in the league. Uh, you got Adrian Amos coming over from Chicago. Uh, so it's going to be interesting. They also brought over Christian Kirksey as well, um, who was injured most of last year. So it's going to be interesting to see what Green Bay can do. 
You got Aaron Rodgers, one of the best quarterbacks of all time on the team. He can make things happen with Devontae Adams there, and that's just about it. Um, but I think that their running game is going to definitely guide them to some victories. I have them going 9-7. and seven. However, I do also have them making the playoffs, so that is good for Green Bay, knowing that there are three wildcard teams. Next, I got the Chicago Bears at 4-12. and 12. Uh, They just named Mitchell Trashbisky as the starting quarterback over Nick Foles. To be honest, I saw it coming. I know that they went and they traded for Nick Foles, um, but also they want their fans to know they believe in Mitch Trubisky. They want to prove people that they were right by taking him over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but the Bears, they're just not in a good spot as a franchise right now. So um, their running backs, pretty rough, to be honest. Um, David Montgomery is going to be hurt to start the year. They do have Tariq Cohen, who's coming off a really rough year. Wideouts, they got Allen Robinson, who is a really, really good wide receiver. Regardless of who his quarterback is, he has now gone through the ropes of uh, Mitchell Trubisky, Nick Foles, and Blake Bortles and still somehow ends up with uh, like a top 10 wide receiver season every single year. Their defense is going to have to win them some games because they don't have anybody else. They did just go out and get Cole Komet from the draft, but they also brought in Jimmy Graham. What was the point of that? Oh, wait, it's because they need 15 tight ends on their team at all times. Let's look at that defense. Khalil Mack is a monster. We already know that, but he kind of flew under the radar last year. When he came over from Oakland... A lot of people were hyping him up. He had a great year, and now it's like he just vanished. I don't know why that is. They also have Robert Quinn, who is going to be interesting with Chicago. Um, but that defense is going to be having to win them some games. Don't forget about Roquan Smith, uh, the, I guess we'll call him boyfriend slash friend of Abella Danger. Shout out. Okay, so the Bears are going to go 4-12, and I think, this year. Still going to be a rough year. In last place, then, I got the Detroit Lions going 3-13. A lot of people have been saying that they can win like six, seven games. I do not see that at all. They don't have a competent running game, even though they just went out and drafted DeAndre Swift. They did just pick up Adrian Peterson, um, and now he has been on the Vikings and the Lions in that division. Matt Stafford, one of the best quarterbacks in the league when he is healthy. They have Kenny Galladay, who is emerging as one of those top wideouts. They also have Marvin Jones, who is a great wideout when healthy. TJ Hawkinson is also another interesting name uh, because he was drafted so highly as a tight end out of Iowa. Even higher than Noah Fant. So uh, it's going to be on the back of their offense because their defense is going to be putrid. They lost Darius Slay over to Philadelphia. They lost a lot of their defensive linemen. They have Jeff Okuda, which might be a bright spot. But basically, he's just filling in the role of Darius Slay. Um, With Detroit, I think that it's weird that they have a defensive-minded coach, and yet their defense is bad every single year. I think that Matt Patricia will for sure be gone after this year, uh, and he won't have a head coaching job ever again. Moving on to the NFC South then, we're going to start with the New Orleans Saints. I have the Saints going 13-3. They're another one of those teams that has little to no holes. So I have them being the number one seed in the NFC. This probably is going to be Drew Brees' last season. They, interestingly enough, have Jameis Winston as the backup and Taysom Hill as the backup. And yet, Sean Payton still insists 
that Taysom Hill is the future of the New Orleans Saints. Still waiting to see him actually get a game in which he throws more than three times. It's not going to happen. How can you call your your third-string quarterback the future if you don't even future, uh, feature him? Drew Brees has had a really rough offseason uh, with a very controversial take that he did. Uh, of course, once he gets completely gassed by the media and by the general public, then he wants to go ahead and and take a part of his controversial stand. Uh, in times like these, uh, I know that a lot of his teammates were very, very angry at him. I worried for how the Saints were going to look. It seems like that issue is now kind of subsided, which is good for the New Orleans Saints organization and for him. Hopefully he's a little bit more understanding and not ignorant. Looking at the running backs, though, they have some weapons, man. They got Alvin Kamara. He is dealing with a spinal injury, though. And I'm not taking that lightly because <laughs> that's a serious injury. So um, he is trying to get the bag as well. He wants to get paid Christian McCaffrey-level money. And um, I don't know if he's necessarily going to get that. I like Alvin Kamara, though. I have two signed jerseys right on my wall as I'm looking at it right now. He's been one of my favorites since he's been in the NFL. He's an explosive back, great out of the passing game as well. Then they also got Latavius Murray, which is great because when Alvin Kamara is not healthy, he still produces on a similar level. And then on the offense, you got guys like Michael Thomas. Goes without question, he's the best wide receiver in football. He shows that time and time again. He likes to boast about it as well. So uh, Michael Thomas is a stud. I'm curious what he's going to look like, though, without Drew Brees in a year or so. Then you got guys like Emmanuel Sanders, who came from Denver. He was on San Francisco last year, uh, and now he's in New Orleans. He's going to be the wide receiver, too, for the team. Um, And I'm curious what his role is going to be. Their defense is very, very good as well. Uh, Little to no holes. Marshawn Lattimore is my favorite defender on the Saints. Pretty locked down corner. If I'm a team uh, and I got my one being covered by him, I'm pretty scared. So I think the Saints string together a ton of wins this year and they end up 13-3 with the one seed. Now comes my most controversial record in the NFL pre or predictions episode here. So I got the Atlanta Falcons taking second at 10-6. and six. I love Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan is one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. They have unbelievable weapons in Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley. They also just brought over Hayden Hurst, who was a little to no featured guy when he was with Baltimore. And I know that Baltimore uses their tight ends a lot. But Austin Hooper last year, when he was in Atlanta and when he was healthy, absolutely went off. I could see Hayden Hurst doing the same thing. He had a a very, very high draft stock uh, in the NFL draft. And he still has not been given the opportunity to prove that. They also just brought over Todd Gurley. And Todd Gurley uh, is going to be heavily involved in the passing game. And to be honest, there's no one else behind him. Ito Smith, no. Brian Hill, not happening. So I think that with the running backs, um, you're only going to be seeing Todd Gurley. He's going to be very heavily utilized. The only reason he wouldn't be is um, if he would be hurt. Looking at their defense, though, they do have a lot of holes on their defense. That's why this 10-6 and 6 prediction could really, really kill me. 
uh, because their defense is so bad. But I think that they do have the offense to keep up with just about any team. That's huge right now, especially in the NFC South, when teams like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the New Orleans Saints playing them four times. So like I said, this could completely kill me. Uh, it's a very, very bold take, but I love Matt Ryan and I love that offense. I know that Dan Quinn's job is on the line. You know, honestly, the, the Falcons could win like six or seven games and I'll look like an idiot, but uh, I stand with Matt Ryan. Speaking of bold, I have Tampa Bay, who everybody is picking to go to the Super Bowl. You know, they're unstoppable. They're a super team. I only have Tampa Bay winning 10 games as well. So I have Tampa Bay going 10 and 6 um, with Tom Brady and the running backs they got in Ronald Jones. They just brought over LaShawn McCoy. I don't know how much he's going to be used, but in the passing game, maybe. Leonard Fournette, they just picked up after he was cut. Uh, I don't understand Bruce Arians and what he says about his players because he said Ronald Jones is the guy. And now he says that, like, Lord uh, Fournette's going to get a solid amount of carries. What does that even mean? Uh, the, the Buccaneers, they also got the best wide receiver core in football, being Chris Godwin and Evan, or Mike Evans. So that's exciting as well. Tight end, they just went out and they brought Rob Gronkowski out of the WWE training facility. He's now back. Uh, he, re he gave up his WWE Internet Championship, and he is back with Tampa Bay. Um, and he's going to be a big-time red zone threat. They also got O.J. Howard. So Rob Gronkowski, you know what? He's so famous for all his touchdowns and his, his charisma, but also he's an outstanding blocker. I think this would be great for 12 tight with 12-man sets, and even if they do three tight ends with Cameron Braid and 13-man sets. So um, that will be exciting to see with Tampa. Their defense is also on the rise. They've had a bad defense for years. Uh, but in the last couple of years, they've they've put together some pieces that are definitely going to help them be a competent defense. So I have Tampa at 10-6. and six. Now, I don't think this is necessarily uh, going to happen, but, you know, I don't think it, it may not happen. They could be worse. It could be just all, all smoke and mirrors for Tampa with, with the GOAT Tom Brady there uh, in one of his last years. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens with Tampa Bay and Atlanta. Those are both teams that I'm very, very intrigued by. On the opposite side, then, I got Carolina. Matt Rule is the new head coach. He's coming over from Baylor. Uh, he really brought Baylor's program to relevance before leaving for the NFL. He's also bringing over um, the offensive coordinator from LSU, and he is one of the most hyped-up offensive coordinators that football has seen in quite some time just because of the success of both Joe Burrow and the other weapons surrounding him in their championship season. So they, of course, have Christian McCaffrey, who just got paid massive money, uh, and he's got no one behind him. Teddy Bridgewater is their quarterback right now, who is a big-time game manager. He did show ultimate success when he was with uh when he was with new orleans last year when drew Brees was injured going undefeated and immediately when drew Brees came back he was named the starter they got some interesting weapons in dj moore who is a wide receiver on the rise you got robbie anderson coming over from new york and you got curtis samuel as their main three guys however their defense is going to be beyond bad they have the youngest defense by far in the NFL. They only have two guys 
on their defense that have had more than two years of experience. I think they're going to be starting about six or seven rookies this year. Uh, every single pick that they took this year in the NFL draft was a defensive player. So that is going to be a really, really bad defense. Luke Keekley retired. That was big for them. Um, and then also Shaq Thompson, we'll see what he does on that defense. I think Carolina's in for a really rough season just because of the division they're in and the defense that they have. Moving over to the NFC West now, we have the San Francisco 49ers. I have them at 10 and 6. They're basically bringing back everybody except for Emmanuel Sanders. However, their wide receivers are a bit banged up, so that's going to be problematic to start the season. We know that they depend on their running game to guide their offense with uh, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman. They also now have Jarek McKinnon at full health. He'll be interesting because he's very well utilized in the passing game. At the wideouts, they just went out and drafted Brandon Ayuk. That's an interesting name coming out of Arizona State. He is a little banged up right now as well. Debo Samuel, he emerged as their wide receiver one last year. He's banged up. So right now we're looking at Trent Taylor being the wide receiver one for San Francisco at this moment. Uh, that's not an appealing name. They just went out and they signed like Kevin White, who was a big-time boss with Chicago, and they're basically looking for anybody off the street. However, without their wide receivers, they still have the best tight end in football in George Kittle. And George Kittle, he just got paid along with Travis Kelsey. He basically is a wide receiver. I mean, he is an absolute monster. He runs outstanding routes. He is an outstanding blocker. He is the focal point of their offense. And Jimmy G will heavily target him. The best part about the 49ers is their defense. And their defense is locked in. We saw that last year when they went to the number one seed. Um, Don't really have any holes there. They did give up the fourth Buckner, which was a bit of a loss. Not a bit of a loss, a big loss, if I'm being honest. Um, But they did go out and draft Javon Kinlaw, who is a really, really interesting name, someone I've been tracking during draft season. I'm curious what his impact is with San Francisco. At second, I got Seattle. Seattle being 9-7 on the year uh, with Guffle Wilson, Mr. Unlimited, Do not remind me of that video. It's one of the biggest cringe videos I've ever seen in my life. I wish I had never seen it. It was ridiculous. So Russell Wilson, all love though, Badger pride, um, instant Hall of Famer. He is in that top three range of quarterback in the NFL. I'd put him number two right behind Patrick Mahomes. This is another team that heavily depends on the run. And Chris Carson is the main guy there. Seventh round pick, which is actually really interesting because his free agency is right around the corner as well. They just went out and they got Carlos Hyde, who actually had a really, really good season with Houston, and they grabbed him off the street. Their wideouts, they got two interesting guys in Tyler Lockett, who always has been a consistent wide receiver, and DK Metcalf, who is on the rise there in Seattle. At the tight end, they got Greg Olson, who has always been a very serviceable tight end, and Russell loves throwing to his tight end if he can. The defense is going to take a bit of a hit, though. They just lost um, 
I just lost Jadevian Clowney. He is going over to Tennessee. Not good for Seattle, uh, but they are going to lose some key players on that defense. I feel like the Legion of Boom is essentially gone. They just got rid of Earl Thomas. It's just a lot of rough roughness going on in, in Seattle. So uh, Seattle, I got them still winning nine games just because Russell Wilson is such a good quarterback. Then we got the Los Angeles Rams. They're sharing an arena with the Los Angeles Chargers. I have them going 7-9 and nine on the year with Jerry Goff. Uh, their running backs, it's going to be weird because the starting running back right now is Malcolm Brown, and they did just draft Cam Akers, who uh, was actually solid last year with the worst offensive line in college football. Um, and then also they have Daryl Henderson, but he is hurt at this moment. Their wide receivers are big time, though. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, big time names. Tight end, we got two big time names in Gerald Everett as well as Tyler Higby. A lot of 12-man sets coming our way in Los Angeles for the Rams. Their defense, they just locked up Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they, he's the highest-paid corner of all time. He just made over $100 million. Good for him. I love Jalen Ramsey. I always have. Uh, his trash talk goes a long way because he's one of those top corners. And now if you watch Hard Knocks, that house that he was dreaming about buying, it's now his. So good for him. Good for the Rams. Uh, they could kind of turn this around, and they could be in the hunt for the wild card as well. And then finally, we have the Arizona Cardinals. And the Cardinals are really, really interesting because now I think their air raid offense is going to be in full effect. They did just cut hair, um, They did just cut one of their promising rookies from last year, but they brought over DeAndre Hopkins. Goes without question. He's a top three wide receiver in the NFL. Monster. I'm excited to see what he can do with Kyler Murray. I'm excited to see what Kyler Murray can do in general with that offense. Larry Fitzgerald, he's still there. And I'm excited to see if he can have an impact on the team. On the defensive side, though, there are a lot of holes. However, they are building. They did just add Isaiah Simmons, who is the most exciting defensive prospect, I would say, from this past class. He can play linebacker, defensive back. He can also play on the edge. So he's very exciting as a defensive player. I can't wait to see what he does this year with Arizona. But I have them going 5-12 and 12 because of the division that they're in, as well as I think there's going to be a bit of a learning curve. And next year, I think they're going to be in contention for a wild card. Take a quick break here, and then I'm going to walk you through my NFL playoff prediction. Gruber Lofts, proud partner of Wisconsin Badger Athletics, one call, that's all. So walking through my playoff prediction here, I uh, I kind of had to debate on who would be my last NFC, NFC playoff team between the Packers and the, and the Seahawks. And I ended up going with the Packers. Uh, very, very close. But I took the Packers in the end. I think the Seahawks barely missed the playoffs. But again, this is all considering my bold Falcons take. I could see the Falcons being out and the Seahawks being in. So I'm going to go through each matchup. If you did not know, there are seven teams in each conference now that make the playoffs with the number one seed getting a bye. So looking at it here in the first round matchups for the AFC, the Ravens versus the Chargers. Uh, I think the Ravens get their revenge from a couple years ago and they beat the Chargers finally in the playoffs. I have the Bills versus the Colts. 
I have the Bills winning that matchup against the Colts. It should be a good game, though. My first upset comes with the Tennessee Titans, the division winner, losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers in that first round. Going over to the AFC, I have the Saints getting the bye. I have the 49ers destroying the Packers again in the playoffs. Uh, then next, I have the Cowboys versus the Bucks. To be honest, this is going to be a really, really good matchup. However, I have the Cowboys defeating Tampa Bay. Then I got the Vikings versus the Falcons. I got the Vikings winning that, so it's pretty chalk there in the NFC. Going back then to the final four here, we got the Chiefs versus the Steelers. I have the Chiefs winning that game. And then the Ravens versus the Bills. Uh, upset here, I got the Bills taking out the Ravens and going to the AFC Championship. In the NFC, the Saints versus the Vikings. I have the Vikings losing. Saints get their revenge. The 49ers and the Cowboys. I have the 49ers defeating the Dallas Cowboys. So that would leave the Chiefs, Bills, Saints, and 49ers playing in the championship games. In the AFC side, I do have the Chiefs defeating the Bills. It's a nice season, though, for Buffalo, who can hang their heads high. And then in the NFC, I have the Saints and the 49ers. I have the Saints winning that. So my bracket's pretty chalk for who makes the Super Bowl. I have both number one seeds being the Chiefs and the Saints. And then ultimately, I have the Chiefs defeating the Saints to repeat as champions. Haven't lost anybody. Same thing goes for the Saints. But I think the Chiefs have more firepower in the end. So that is my NFL season preview. Uh, like I said, I want to kind of check in every four weeks. I'll be bringing on some guests to talk about the NFL that, that, that far and then um, going from there. So thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed my team-by-team -team breakdown as well as my discussion about, about the Milwaukee Bucks. Hate it when they play both sides. Too low in my life. Gotta stay high. Gotta stay high. Too low in my life. Yeah, I gotta stay. Hate it when they play both sides. Too low in my life. So I gotta stay.